Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Before we begin, I want to be sure to mention this book one more time by Timothy, Timothy Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Um, I'm continuing to read it, not quite finished yet, but oh my goodness, um, fabulous. Please, I encourage you, get it. It's, it's kind of a long read, but so, so helpful. And I used to, um, it was really helpful in my preparing for today. So this last week, I came across a little blog by Anise Kavanaugh, and she was is offering some encouragement for when you go through difficult times. And one of the thing, truths that she presented was so um, clear and simple, and I think really hits home for today's lesson. She says, find the gift in whatever is happening. Find the gift in whatever is happening in your life. I want to also ask you this morning, do you know anyone who's going through a season of adversity right now that is shining with faith in the midst of it? This past summer, I heard the testimony of a woman who was going through cancer treatment. She said on the day that she heard her diagnosis, she had some discussions with God. But she said... She only had those discussions with God for one day. And then she began to pray. God, would you help me as I interact with all the people who are caring for me at the hospital to shine for you? Would you help me as I'm sitting in the chair receiving my treatment to try to love on the person next to me? And God just gave her a heart for this young teenage girl who is going through cancer treatment. And God kept intersecting their paths. And it was what was so beautiful to me as she shared her story is not one time did she ask for us to pray for her to be healed, but she asked for, for God to help her to be a blessing to those that she was coming into contact with because of her adversity. She was shining with faith in the midst of it. Our author asked us in our study this week, is it wrong to ask why when you are going through times of trial or suffering? And I would say, we find many examples of that in scripture, don't we? In the Psalms especially, right? People pouring out their hearts to God in prayer, asking why. And I think God can handle those questions. But I think maybe there are some other questions that might be a little better to ask. What can I learn? Who can I bless? How can I honor you when I'm going through difficulty? And maybe simply praying very honestly, Lord, this is really, really hard, but don't waste this time. Bring something good out of it. Use it for your purposes. As we look at Joseph's life this morning, we find that from our last week's lesson, he passed the integrity test, right, in Genesis 39. And now we're going to find him in prison. And there are some other tests that he's going to go through there. The interpretation test. Will he honor God? And give him credit 
for the gift of being able to interpret dreams. And the patience test, right? He's waiting. He's waiting for God to be fulfilling those, the dream as he's in prison. And we're finding throughout Genesis 40 and 41, especially in, in 40, 39 and 40, that God is with Joseph in a foreign land and he's prospering him even while he's in prison. God is developing Joseph. He's preparing him for the role that he has for him to save his family, to save all of Egypt. And, and for, God is preserving this family of promise to bring about the ultimate salvation of the world through Christ. Now, when Joseph was given this dream at the age of 17, I don't think he knew then that the path to the top was going to be a lowly way. God would be lowering him again and again and again in preparation to raise him to this place of prominence where God could work through him. So we find, first of all today, that in prison, that divine providence and steadfast love abound. Divine providence could be simply defined as his guidance and care. God is powerfully at work caring for Joseph. If you open your Bibles to Genesis 39, we see in verses 19 and 20 that the Lord graciously protects Joseph. <clears throat> when Potiphar's wife had, had accused Joseph of trying to attack her, um, we find Potiphar's response. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. We must see here that Joseph is shown favor. Attempted rape of the master's wife by a slave would have earned Joseph a death sentence. Confinement with the king's prisoners was really a very mild sentence. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on in Potiphar's mind. Maybe he doubted his wife's accusation. Maybe he remembered Joseph's years of service and faithfulness. Or maybe God just simply influenced Potiphar's thinking. But we must see God's hand here in preserving Joseph when he really could have received the punishment of death. In chapter 39, verses 2 and 3 and 5 and 21 and 23, we see it's articulated over and over and over again. We, in other words, we must not miss it. This phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Even in Egypt, even in prison, the Lord is there. And in verses 21 to 23, we see the Lord's steadfast love and favor is bestowed upon Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. 
The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him in whatever he did. The Lord made it succeed. God has his hand on Joseph. Now, it's interesting, if you look at this big picture, remember back, Joseph received two dreams. We're finding in Genesis 40 that the cupbearer and the baker each receive a dream. That's another pair. And then the Pharaoh is going to receive two dreams. This pattern of God revealing himself and revealing his plans through these dreams is once again giving this picture of his sovereign control, his hand on every bit of Joseph's life and every day throughout history. What is interesting to note, though, is both the cupbearer and the baker's dreams come to fruition very quickly, and the pharaoh's dreams as well. But Joseph's been waiting, hasn't he? He's been waiting. But the Lord does have his hand on him. We find that the Lord seems to be hidden, but he is working. Being in prison is Joseph's patience test. He does pass, and he will be promoted. But my goodness, don't you sympathize with him And as he's, he's waiting? We hear him plead in Genesis 40, 14 with the cupbearer. After he interprets his dream, he says, Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, out of this place of confinement. And then in verse 23, what takes place is that the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then in 41.1 we find, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. So Joseph has been forgotten by the cupbearer, and two years have gone by. But then, look ahead to verse 9. Finally, he remembers. When he hears Pharaoh's dreams, it, it clicks something in his brain. The chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody. In the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. There was a young Hebrew there, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. What's going on in these two years' time? God is developing Joseph. He's working. When we are in the midst of our stories, and I wonder if, if Joseph felt like this, we think, oh, God seems so slow in working out his plans. But we have to remember that he is never late. If the cupbearer had remembered Joseph right away, Maybe Joseph would have been sent back to his home, and he wouldn't have been there to be able to interpret the dreams and to be able to bring salvation to his family and to others. 
Joseph also glorifies God as the only interpreter of dreams. We find this when he speaks both to the baker and the cupbearer and to Pharaoh. In 40, verse 8, they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And then verse 41, chapter 41, verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph is giving God all the credit. We also must note that the Lord's wisdom is far greater than human wisdom. We see that Pharaoh gathers like other ancient rulers would have, sorcerers, dream interpreters, wise men, for counsel. There were books, there's literature on interpreting dreams that would have been someone's occupation to interpret dreams. Joseph didn't have any dream books to look into. And the wise men and magicians that gathered around Pharaoh could not help him. But we see that both these dreams and the interpretation are from God. He is the one who is in control, not Pharaoh, not his wise men. So it's amazing to see that the mighty Egyptian empire is left helpless, but for the revelation that God gives to them and for these interpretations that, that Joseph brings. And now, because of Joseph, all of Egypt will be the recipients of blessing. It's interesting. Joseph prefigures both Moses and Daniel. They were two oppressed captives who God raised to position of leadership in the hostile land. And they, too, would work to reveal that God's wisdom is much greater than, the, than any wisdom of man. And also, it reveals his sovereignty, right? God's amazing wisdom is victorious, and he's ruling over all of the nations, not just Egypt. And of course, Joseph points us to Christ who is the incarnate wisdom of God, who would die and be raised to life to rule the world. From all these things we see going on at this point in Joseph's story, are we getting the picture, ladies, that God's plans for us are much bigger and better than we could ever imagine? Can we, in the midst of our stories, when we haven't seen a rescue yet when we haven't seen how God is going to resolve things. Can we trust his heart when we cannot see his hand? The other clear picture that we see in our text this morning is Joseph growing through these times of suffering. He's growing through his time in prison. Stephen, in the New Testament, who is giving testimony that will ultimately lead to his death, speaks of Joseph 
in Acts 7. Stephen said, And the patriarch, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. We know that, right? We've been hearing it. God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh. I don't know. It seems as if Joseph was sold into slavery at the age of 17, and he had 13 years of affliction. And yet Stephen looks back and says, oh, well, God rescued him out of it. Well, he had 13 years of walking through it first. Affliction could be described as misery or pain or suffering. But we always need to see it as a test or a time of preparation. It's like going to school. Now, some people might say that we who live in the U.S. have no idea what it's like to experience suffering. We have food when we're hungry, most of us. We have clean water. We have proper health care. We have opportunities for education. We're not living in a war zone. Yet I would say that we all do experience pain in some shape or form at some point in our lives. We experience broken relationships or job loss or the walking through grief when we lose a loved one, watching someone be gripped by addiction, health problems, mental health struggles, the list goes on and on. At some point in life, we are going to be experiencing suffering. No one ex is exempt. It's interesting to note a few people in Joseph's family who also spoke of, of affliction. Precious Leah, our hearts go out to her, right? As the one who was kind of snuck in as a wife for Jacob. When she named her son Reuben, in Genesis 29:32, Reuben means to see. And she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Her affliction was being feeling rejected and unloved. And then Jacob, after working 20 years in Laban's house, he said, I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on, si on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my what? My affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. <coughs> and then, years later, Joseph's descendants who have multiply in Egypt, and they too are enslaved. God sees their affliction too, and comes to Moses and says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. 
I have come down. He is a God who comes down. I love that. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We will experience affliction, but we know that God is with us in it. He sees. He experiences it with us. There seems to be a theme throughout scripture of trials being described as like going through fire, fiery trials. And yet, we must always remember that trials come with a purpose. God is seeking to grow us. He's seeking in the midst of what we've got going on for us to be a blessing and to bring good to those around us. And he wants us to bring him glory as we walk through it. Now, in the culture that we live in, we are encouraged to avoid adversity at all costs, right? Seek our own comfort. Seek our own good. So what if we could be countercultural, ladies, and say that we will welcome adversity? Timothy Keller puts it this way. There is no way to know who you really are until you are tested. There is no way to really sympathize with other suffering people until you have suffered. There is no way to really learn how to trust in God until you are drowning. My sweet son Isaac was wanting an easy class at school, I think, and took a pottery class. <laughs> and he came home at the end of last year with this little project. You're welcome to come see it at the end of our time. My, my husband said it looks like a beehive, but what it is, it's a furnace. And you can see some flames in there, and there are three guys in that furnace. Okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I don't know about you, but I love to have place little things around my house to remind me of things, truths that I need to be believing. So I've been looking at this lately. It really fits with our theme for this week. But what's interesting is that he forgot to put the fourth person in the furnace. <laughs> right? Because even Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, there's some, someone else in there with them. Well, we remember that truth that we are not alone in, the, in our fiery trials. And I remember back to my elementary school days. I went to a little Christian school and we did a, a musical on this. And one of the lines from one of the songs was, it's cool in the furnace. <laughs> it's cool in the furnace. And I think that's what the Lord wants us to be proclaiming. This fire is not going to touch my heart. It's not going to harden my heart. It's not going to turn me away from him. It's
it's going to draw me to him. I'm going to lean into him in the midst of my trials. We know that our God is in the business of redemption. He can bring good out of the worst situations. He can redeem anyone and anything. We must have eyes of faith when we cannot see what he's up to, to believe that he's working behind the scenes in the midst of our pain and trials. I heard Pastor Tony Evans speaking on this just last week, and he put it very, very simply. God wants to develop you through trials. The devil seeks to destroy you when you go through trials. God wants your faith to rise, not fall. Ladies, adversity is not something to be avoided or managed. It's an opportunity to grow. Suffering can accomplish growth in us that would not happen otherwise. And ladies, since we're all going to go through it, just remember, please remember, you get to choose how you will go through it. You get to choose whether or not trials are going to make you weaker or stronger, bitter or better, hopeless or hopeful, angry or compassionate. I ask you to, to reflect and think. Have you seen anyone shine with faith in the midst of their trials? And then I must also ask, have you seen someone who's become bitter and broken because of going through trials? It happens. Growing through trials can grow us in humility helping us to remember that we have to completely depend upon God. It can give us a new perspective on our lives and on people. It can reveal our idols. When God puts us in a place where it seems as if everything else has been stripped away, we will find him to be enough. Let going through trials deepen your relationship with God. Pour out your heart to him. Get on your knees in prayer. Keep looking into his word. Keep joining in Christian community, coming to church, participating in your small groups, your Bible study, serving. He is suffering with you. You can count on him. And oh, ladies, let our suffering and our pain help our hearts to grow big and tender so that we can be compassionate with others who suffer. I love that Joseph, in the midst of being in prison, saw the countenances of the cupbearer and the baker. He was compassionate. He cared for them. Some scriptures to look to here. Count it all joy, my, my brothers, my sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking any, anything. See this picture here. God's purpose for trials to grow us so we can be all that he's meant us to be. And then 1 Peter 4, 19. 
Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Seeking to be a blessing even in the midst of our, our struggles. Because we're counting on him who is faithful and with us. And I love 1 Peter 5.10. If you have a chance, read through 1 Peter. 1 and 2 Peter. But beautiful picture where Peter is trying to encourage Christians who are suffering for their faith. This is true suffering, ladies. And, and he gives them this great word. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. is with us and wanting to work in and through us in the midst of our trials. This picture of the fire of trials also reminds us that that fire is meant to burn away impurities, to make our faith shine like gold. Timothy Keller also talks about this powerful truth. Since we can't avoid suffering, right? We're going to experience it sometime or another. We must remember that the scriptures challenge us to walk through it. Walking is not running. It's not trying to rush through it, avoid it, manage it. It's not sitting either. It's not sitting down and letting it overwhelm you. And leading to you, you just fold in on yourself and you have a pity party. We must walk through the familiar Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All the days God is guiding and protecting and working. And one of my favorite passages in Isaiah, calling out to Joseph's descendants many, many years down the line. The Lord says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. It's picturing a flood, right? Trials as, as a flood. And this, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Remember our friends in the furnace, right? Fire didn't even touch their, their clothes. Walking through suffering. It's a daily thing, right? It's putting one foot in front of the other. It's getting up <laughs> and trusting the Lord again for today. <coughs> it's slow and steady, not in a hurry. So the questions I have for you here, will you let adversity destroy you or develop you? And how will you walk 
through suffering. Just a couple of things to finish up here. I found it's fascinating. If you look at the symbol of clothing throughout Joseph's story, and I found this in Riken's Bible Handbook. You've got that book noted there in your notes page. We know the story, right? It's, we have it with our, the title of our study guide, The Coat of Many Colors, right? He was given this coat to show he was the favorite. And it symbolized the dream, right? God's favor and his plan for him to be a leader. But when his brothers attacked him and stripped him of his coat and put him in that pit and sold him into slavery, they brought that coat to their dad, dipped in blood, lying and saying that an animal had attacked him. There, the coat of many colors then became a source of grief for his father. And then when Joseph served as a slave in Potiphar's house ever so faithfully and rose to leadership there, Potiphar's wife accused him of attacking her. And she grabbed his cloak and he ran away without it, right? He was trying to avoid trouble at all costs. And that coat then was presented to Potiphar when she accused Joseph. And then he's in prison. And when he is finally remembered and brought out, he washes and puts on new clothes, fresh clothes. And then when the dream is fulfilled, he is clothed in royal clothes. And it's this picture of the powerful position that he has being second in all of Egypt only to Pharaoh himself. We see how Joseph seems to be at, in a high place when he's first given that coat. And then he's brought low to the pit when it's taken away. And then he's brought even lower to the prison when he's falsely accused through that cloak. And then he's raised again with fresh clothes and then raised again his ultimate purpose having that great position where he could be a blessing and all these ups and downs in Joseph's life I think of Jesus our Savior who himself reigned in glory but chose to leave the glories of heaven to come down to be one of us to be clothed in skin and to reveal God to the world. And he experienced suffering. He was stripped of his clothes. And on that cross, he bore all of our sin and shame. He was falsely accused and imprisoned. He is the only righteous one paid the penalty that we deserve. He experienced the worst suffering of all, being separated from his communion with the Father. For you and for me, so that we could be washed clean and so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. 
he rose again to his rightful place, didn't he? And then sent the Spirit who abides with us and who helps us to live out the clothing that we've been given. I think of Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I want to ask you this morning, do you remember the clothes that you're wearing? When you are going through a trial, will you remember the garments of salvation that have been bestowed upon you? We have to think that Joseph, all those years in prison, was remembering that coat and that God told him that's who he was going to be. He was going to be a leader. Remember who you are when you go through troubles and remember who is watching over you, who is with you, who is wanting to grow you through them. I want to close with this um, story today. Because I can't get out of my mind that doggone cupbearer who forgot Joseph. <laughs> I have a couple of gals who we pray together some and we challenge each other to read, to read things that will expand our vision of what God is doing in the world. And one night as we gathered, we came across this verse in Hebrews 13.3 that says this. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Like the cupbearer, we are in a place where much of the time we're doing very well compared to what a lot of people are experiencing around this world. So I want to challenge you today. Will you pray this prayer? Ask God to show you who he wants you to remember, who he wants you to see that is in prison today. Maybe he will call you to pray on some, for somebody that's going through a difficult thing on the other side of the world. Maybe it's someone who's literally in prison. Maybe it's someone who's figuratively in prison. But will we be those who remember those who are suffering? I'll finish with the testimony of uh, a, Zim, a pastor from Zimbabwe who was martyred. I am a disciple of Christ. I will not let up, look back, or slow down. My past is redeemed. My future is secure. I'm done with low living, small planning, smooth knees, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dumb goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, recognized, praised, or rewarded. My face is set. My way is sure. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My company few. My God is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, delayed, or diluted. I will not flinch in the face of adversity, not negotiate at the table of the enemy, or meander in the maze of me mediocrity. I am a disciple of Christ. 
I must go until he comes, speak of all I know of him, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, by the grace of God, he will have no problem recognizing me because my colors are clear. Have a good morning, ladies. Thanks for your time. Thank mm-hmm. you.